All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for the fearless Dave Dubow. And if you've ever wondered how a part-time investor can turn a 50K house into 15 properties worth $5 million and $1.3 million in equity, today's guest, Andrew Postel, he's here to share his journey from house hacking to millionaire status through strategic leveraging. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you here. Thanks for having me. My honor to be here. Yeah, no, no problem. I love the equity play. You know, equity is always something that, you know, you can either pull it out and what ends up happening is people end up pulling it out and, and lending it. But before we before we really start diving into that, um, you know, with your story, can you share a little bit about your real estate journey? Um, you know, what's your main strategy and which market are you currently focused in? Sure. So I'm a buy and hold investor meaning I purchase homes that are designed to be kept long-term. Long-term mm -hmm. rents is what I specialize in. been doing it for over 20 years now. And right now, all of my properties are in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area in Texas. And that's a great market for me. And, um, you know, what inspired you to venture into real estate uh, initially? You know, can you share a little bit about the backstory that led you to this Sure. I mean, it's a little awkward because I have to talk about my own family in a little bit because um, when I grew up, I moved probably 18 different times. So when we moved, my father, you know, he was our breadwinner. He mm -hmm. would sell the home that we lived in to go buy the next home. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. And then he would strangely take us through the old neighborhoods or the old towns like, hey, look at this house. It's now worth 300,000. We'd all be like, oh, that's so cool, dad. Um, but my uncle, he moved a lot too, but he kept his homes. Yeah. And when you're a kid, you know, you're, you're on the same tier, but as we got older, my uncle was just better and better. He just kept getting, I was like, I think I want to do what he's doing. Yeah. Um, let's do it. I'll have what he's having. Yeah. So he retired with seven properties. That's yeah. it. And when I say that's it, he is set for life forever. Nothing mm -hmm. to worry about in a very good place with seven. And that was the example. That's what got me inspired to get into it. Yeah, because a lot of people do play the game of buying and selling and buying and selling. And it's not common, you know, the, it's almost on the brokers and the agents and stuff like that. Like they want to sell the house again, right? They want they want a, a sale and a sale. Um, you're never going to get the advice from a real estate agent. Like, why don't you just keep the house? You know, no, they, they want their sign on the front. They want to make that, uh, commission on and then sell you another one. So um, at what point did you actually, uh, is that the, the path you followed, which was buy one, move on, move on, move on, but just keep them? Yes. So the first home that I purchased was a $50,000 home that I house hacked. And that home is what allowed me to leverage into multiple properties later. But I couldn't even purchase that home because, uh, you know, as I was young, I didn't have very much money. And I couldn't have purchased it without a down payment assistance program. So even my first home, I got help with. Mm -hmm. And it was fine. And people kind of scoff at like $50,000 home, really? That's all I could do. I didn't have much of a choice of where I started. Mm -hmm. I don't own any $50,000 homes anymore. But at the yeah, time... It depends what state you're in. You know, there's, there's yeah. still this story still works in uh, probably 20 states out there right now. That's right. I mean, there are still fifty dollars and $30,000 homes you can purchase right now. And they... They make cash flow very fine. 
But for me, I leverage that by to upgrade my assets each time, buy multiple properties as best as I could, and so forth. So right now, um, I always ask this about landlords to say, what do you like about being a landlord? And we and we always just talk cash flow, but let's get into the the under the other side. What maybe what you don't like about um the business of renting properties? Yeah. So no matter what I do, I still have to be involved. Mm -hmm. You know, so I have a property manager at this point in my career. I pay them to take care of everything that they can take care of. And I'm still needed, still needed. I, I got an email today. You know, it's like a daily thing. Sometimes multiple hours a month are needed for me on my properties. And that's just part of being in this type of a place. Um, I don't mean this to be in a complaining way because you know, being successful, it's very hard in a lot of ways. Your schedule is always booked. Finding time for family and friends can be very difficult, but being poor can be hard too. Yep. So if I've got the choice of being poor. Which hard do you hard, want? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So even though it's demanding, I know the score that I've got to dedicate time to my business, even if I have employees underneath me. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's right. So when look, looking ahead over the next, say, 12, 12 months, um, the next year or so, what do you envision? Um, what do you have envisioned for yourself in the future? Oh, what, so this is where the experience piece of it comes into play. So this is like my third recessionary, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm, time correction. of the economy, you know. So when 9-11 happened, I was investing. During the housing crisis, I was investing. Now, back in those days, you didn't use the term cash flow. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there. All the interest rates were 7 and 8%. Yep. We knew that if you wanted to build wealth, you kept the property. And if you wanted to be a full-time investor then, you just flipped. That was mm -hmm. what you did. And this is a very similar instance of what's happening now. So even though rates are high, I'm still acquiring. I do mm -hmm. two, maybe three property acquisitions a year. That's it. But you do it over 20 years and you'll be fine. So I'm still acquiring. I just make my offers correct. And that way, if I look at two of them long term, which is absolutely the plan that I'm looking at, this is an investment. My real cash flow, what I live on and pay my bill, that's my job. Mm -hmm. So for me, real estate is the long term side hustle that will take me when I retire into the sunset. Yeah, because a lot of people do. And still believe that whatever pension or retirement uh, investment that they're in is going to be able to give them maybe the same, um, you know, livelihood when they retire. Um, but we've seen time and time again that that's not the case, and that maybe those things aren't even around when you when you go to retire. You know, I'm not quite forty yet, and to bank on the government's retirement um, pensions of any sort would be a risky endeavor. So people are, are using it as retirement savings, you know, and I don't know, my friend said, there's nothing better. Like houses are high interest savings account because they're not, you know, they're not cash flowing these days uh, mm -hmm. in all places. There's still people that are doing cash flow in, in a lot of States um, around the country. So any sort of, obstacles that are slowing you down um, from 
investing at this point? It's the same obstacles that there always have been. It's a little harder now than it was two, three, four years ago, but it's the same hard that it was 10 and 15 years ago. Only in recent years has it become a lot more accessible because the rates were low and our income was Mm -hmm. high. So now we're almost back the way it used to be, Mm -hmm. which is really, really hard. It's always been hard. It was only easy for a little short amount of time. So cash is king. Still, cash is king. The -hmm. main way I acquire is with as little money out of pocket as I can get. I usually use the Burr method Mm -hmm. to acquire because of this. I target off-market properties. Mm -hmm. So nothing MLS because the competition is too fierce. It drives up the price. And I usually am... um, the hardest part is finding the deal. I make about a hundred offers a year in order to execute on two or three. Yeah. And that's yeah. another time piece itself. But I can't delineate from my numbers because my resources are limited. Maybe my limit's a little higher than the average, but it still is a limit. I can't just go out and blow it mm-hmm. on things. You know, I still have to stick to the same security numbers that I've always had the past and that will continue to take me on into the future too so as far as your acquisitions uh you're not using um outside funding you're rolling the initial fifth your initial equity over and over again at this point yeah 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 so um like this year for example Mm -hmm. i had a property in florida i live in texas had a property in florida i had that property since 2008 if you remember 2008 wasn't the best year to buy yeah, so when I bought that home in 2008, um, it went down value and down and value. It just got crushed for year over year over year, crushed in value. So I had to hold it for 15 years, and this was the 15th year. Mm-hmm. So I've since sold that property this year using a 1031 exchange, and I used that property to purchase a duplex here in Texas. And that property go. in Florida was fine. It was a two-bedroom home with an HOA. So being a two bedroom means I could could not really rent it for maximum output because I only had two mm-hmm. bedrooms mm-hmm. and the HOA always um, ate away at the cash flow too. So mm-hmm. not only am I selling that property for um, to leverage it, but I'm also upgrading it at the same time. So the duplex I purchased here, both units were three bedroom, two bath homes, no HOA. Yeah, so it's... I will be more successful whenever I leverage a property like that into something bigger. So have you ever, because there are people out there that go for like, if you've ever seen those movies where they're like uh, giving away land and they have like flags and people just go out there and they're, they're acquiring a hundred a year and all this stuff. Um, have, has that ever been of interest to you? Do you stay out of that sort of game? Like, um, tell me about your strategy when it comes to, because anyone could go out and raise a bunch of money and get a bunch of deals and, and still have no cash flow, but why not? Why not that? Then why not against what you're doing now? So Bryce, I mean, I see the same YouTubes, the same videos. I read the articles. I see people's finances with my job. Mm -hmm. The average person, like I'm not magnetic. I don't have a great boisterous character. Like Mm -hmm. I can't go out and just get people to believe in me. I'm a regular person, regular, average, reg, you know, regular. Per- mm-hmm. I'm almost like a private individual. Like I don't really want limelight that much. Okay, so that how can sense. somebody that has great job satisfaction, 
stick with real estate. It's so boring what I do. I'm just a buy and hold investor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I got, I got it, man. I'm on the plan. And the reason why I haven't delineated from it is because I really enjoy what I do for a career. And I use real estate as the sidebar. I yeah. also have clients, well, if, I, if I can share a little bit, too, like I'll have clients who work for nonprofit charities mm -hmm. and they got more properties than I do. They mm -hmm. have incredible job satisfaction. They're really doing great stuff and they just use real estate on the sidebar and they're going to be fine in life. Fine. Mm -hmm. So that's like the main message is that we want to be fine in life. And that's it. That's your goal is that because you could get stressed out and go and buy a hundred properties, like get stressed and go and do that. But it seems like the pace and, you know, for a lot of people who do that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they probably don't like their job. They're trying to yeah. exit their job. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, usually whenever I'm talking through it with people, it's like, Hey, well, I hate my job and my family's this and gosh, we're so dysfunctional and I just want to be rich. Well, Hey man, that, your family might be more dysfunctional when you get rich. It, you know, it's not going to solve your problems. Your problems might be exaggerated. So if there's something going on that's behind the scenes, let's address that piece of it first. And then real estate can complement your life. And don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people who just need to work for themselves. And that's totally cool. I dig it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just a traditional person that I enjoy my life. I've got a great family. I mean, I don't want to get off the course that I'm on. In 20 years, when I come back and re-interview with you, I'm going to be in a green, I'm going to be in an mm -hmm. amazing place. It's kind of crazy for me to even think. We'll have a little more white hair in our beards. In yeah. Years. <laughs> I'll probably have no hair left if you see my family line. That's I'll right. Mr. Clean over here. So um, with, with the properties you had, you had mentioned that now, because of your equity position, you're actually able to lend. Like, who do you, how long have you been lending for? And, um, you know, who do you ideally like to lend to oh oh so let me be very clear i'm an employee at a company and that company we're a lender okay. we're an institutional yeah. lender okay so i lend 30-year fixed rate loans the company i work for we can lend in any state all 50 states and we have dscr commercial loans residential loans all that type of thing so basically if you're if you're looking for a permanent 30-year fixed rate loan I can help with that. You're the guy. So why would someone work with uh, your guy, you guys, as opposed to say uh, the bank on the corner? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so I would encourage you, if you're an investor, you should have four in the beginning, four, at least different lenders. As you progress in your career, you're going to need more. Same yeah. thing with your plumbers and your contractors. So if you've already got great established relationships, I'd almost say, Continue to use them if you'd like to double check with me, of course. But if you're new, now you have somebody who already has done what you want to do and can guide you through it. So I know people like a company, but if you choose me, you're choosing it because of me. So I can not only speak the language and teach you the language, but the loans are pretty good too. That helps. So as a, as a lender, what do you see the, the lending environment looking like over say the next couple of years oh yeah yeah so i would tell you to use these same numbers that you have today for the next couple of years i don't anticipate yeah. rates dropping dramatically um the one thing that we created out of 
the two and three percent rate environment, we mm-hmm. created a housing shortage. Yeah, there's not enough housing to go around. In any other recession time, we've had a gluttony of properties on the market that which had driven down price, and we don't have that now. Prices are not dropping. Some studies show that prices are actually slightly going up. I don't yeah. know which ones are right or wrong, but you know, we don't have drastic price decreases. So the minute that rates get back or maybe just get to the just five, start going man, lower. People yeah. start believing they're going in that direction. And then prices will go. If you buy a property today in five years, you'll be very thankful that you mm-hmm. have it. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's that's seems to be the consensus is that, uh, and that with, if rates had creep down or even look like they're going in that direction they could run a news article of just promising the fact that they're going to go down a quarter percent basis point and people would start buying property like everyone's just sitting around waiting for that um which is probably what's what's going to happen as far as why do you think that it created a housing shortage oh yeah because all those people with two and three percent interest rates they're not selling yeah. Many of them are becoming yeah. accidental landlords, you know, like a property managers that talk to us say, hey, you know, we've got so many new clients now that just have one property. They don't know the full story behind it, but you can guess who wants to sell a 3% rate. It's so crazy. You borrowed money and made money when you borrowed. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how drastic that rate was. Mm-hmm. So if you got any ability at all to keep that home, it makes financial sense to keep that home as a rental. And that's why we have a housing shortage. Yeah. And the fact that the the lending on new construction is the same loans, it's subject to the same interest rates that um, it it can't really be solved that way. They got to, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, we've been seeing, especially in markets like mine or other ones in, in the country, they've been loosening the, the rules on income sweeting. They're like, oh, well, we just, if we can't build new, we might as well densify. Have you started looking at any of your portfolio and saying, oh, can I, can I make this into two? Can I, have you started looking at maximizing what you already have? Oh, sure. So the, I purchased a quad this year by selling another single family home. Mm-hmm. And again, I've upgraded the single family home was built in 1928. It was a three one, you know? So again, to maximize rents, liquidated that property to buy a quad. So this piece of it, if you develop your career in investing long enough, at least in the buy and hold world, you want to get into multiple unit properties for sure. Cause that's the only way you're going to be able to scale at a high level. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Cause like everyone that I talk to that has followed your path looks at properties like trading cards, cause they're not interested in it's like poker. Like you put two down. It's not like it's a 1031 exchange. Give me two back or give me one, two cards that are worth more than the two that I gave away. So they're always trading up and trading up. At what point, um, I'm not an expert on 1031 exchange. At what point are you going to have to pay the, you know, how do you plan to, for people thinking, I want to do that, but how do I get my, lifestyle out of that when i retire hmm yeah so a 1031 you know defer yeah i understand a 1031 defers your taxes doesn't Mm -hmm. avoid them so i want to make sure to be clear that people understand that difference now you can defer it forever you could 
you could pass and never pay a single. Somebody else will be paying. Mm-hmm. However, th- this is when, if you get to this point, this is a great point to be in. I need a tax professional to advise me on these things. Okay, so when you get to to that kind of a problem, what a great problem to have. But yeah, yeah we the wife and I we've already talked about. It. We've done the math. We actually have a little chart. When we get to 160 doors, that's when we start tackling the tax issue. But we will defer until that moment. Interesting. Interesting. Why? Uh, sorry, 160, right? Why 116 mm-hmm. or 160? Yeah, we 160. So we feel like we would be there at the time that we would retire in our 60s. Okay. And then you'll deal with it at that point. Because a lot of people are talking about... Um, deferring the taxes into life insurance and then living on loans and things like that. There's a lot of creative strategies. Um, did you, this is always a question I ask, I ask the guys is, did your wife know you were addicted to real estate when she met you? <laughs> so uh, she was one of my first tenants uh, when oh, she met me. Yeah. 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 Um, but we do have a special relationship, you know, I'll come home and, Hey, I bought a house today. And she goes, hmm, I think some spouses might be a little wary if you just bought a house without talking to them, but that's just the life that we live. Yeah. Well, there's always, you know, I used to be, um, you know, in the education sector, sector of real estate, you know, teaching people how to buy and sell houses and flip them and whatever. And it was always that this, the line that said, if, if the wife is, uh, upset that you bought a house it's because you did a bad job at some point in the past mm-hmm. so if she's like if she's shaking it off it sounds like you got everything under control she's not worried and that's really what um where we all hope to to get to a point where where our partners or, or our wives or whatever can trust us enough to be like hmm sounds great when can we go and look at it you know something that's like right. that so um have you ever dabbled in the other parts of real estate like flipping a house or assignments yeah anything like that no i and only because i'm just good at what i do and when i say good i mean it's still work i still have to make everything function but my regular job is very full-time like i'm in the top one percent of all loan officers in the whole country okay so this is a very demanding position for me to have so i had to be very selective of how i use my time i have wrestled with it but I just know what I'm doing in the, with the Burr method, how to acquire, how, what the properties to look at. So if I'm an expert at this point in my career, at this point in my life, this age, I should not, I don't feel for me, I should not reset and go do something different and continue to do what I'm doing. And as long as I do that, I will be financially set forever. And so will all my family and their heirs. So just stick mm-hmm. to this path. It's pretty okay. Stick to the plan. If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's now, right. most of your properties, if not all of them, are in Texas? They all are in Texas now. That was not the case for me for a long time. I lived okay. in New York City for a while. Could not, you know, the price point was just too high. And that's why I invested in Florida. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've sold, slowly sold my Florida properties to purchase in Texas. I've moved to Texas, been here for a little while. And that's why I sold the last Florida property this year. And now the, all the properties are here in Texas. Is that part of the plan going forward that you don't want to be in outside of your market anymore? That's right. I really, I mean, being an out-of-state investor before, I know exactly the pains of doing that. And I live in one of the best real estate markets mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just fortunate, just 
circumstance, but for me, sticking local, everything points to me staying put. Did you move to Texas for the real estate? No. Well, I mean, okay. So when I lived in New York, the lending company I worked for was like, hey, will you go to Texas? Help us open a branch. And I said, no. Who wants to go to? No, I don't want to go to Texas. Nobody wants to go to Texas. Um, but then they said, well, there's more housing in Texas than all of New York and New Jersey combined. Just go there for one year and then come back. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fair. Um, so I, even though I moved here for business purposes, it was the wife who was like, hey, you know, it doesn't snow here. I think we Ever. should stay. <laughs> so, a little so, bit of rain sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, there are some weather things and everything. And yeah. And they've got yeah, this thing called brisket. I don't know if you've ever heard of this barbecue. Yeah. Barbecue oh, yeah. brisket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty yummy too. So there's a lot of good positive things, but it just worked out that the place I moved to happened to have tons of properties that were very rentable for blue collar working class families. And that's why this housing market is a great one for rentals. So for people who, um, yeah, it is a great market. I was there in 2016 looking at stuff. It's unbelievable what you can buy and the value is great. And, you know, the economy is great, which is great for um, buying and holding and even mm-hmm. flipping and land. Yeah. And like, it's the wild west out there. So um, for out of town investors, what advice do you have as someone who's who's dealt with that and has exited that? What advice would you give to someone who is thinking about it or already owns stuff uh, out of town and Sure. And don't forget, like as a lender, I've already seen people's financials who do this, these types of strategies. So I've seen it on a mass scale too. But the number one thing that's always debated for, hey, what market, what city should I go to? And I will tell you without any hesitation that it needs to be whatever city you know somebody in. So when you're an out-of-state investor, you have no connection, you got this city over here where you have somebody living there. I don't care what the numbers say in that other city. One wrong move, one bad vendor, one terrible network that you don't have vetted can wreck everything for you. Mm. You may never see your asset if you are out of state. That's an incredible amount of money and trust to put in strangers. So even if it's like one or two or 3% difference, go in that city where you already have an established relationship with trustworthy people, and that will help protect your assets. Mm -hmm. Because that's always the big fear. Um, investing out of state is like can you handle it and can you handle whatever comes up and that's the you know i was at a networking event the other day and someone was like oh i want to invest in um i think it was somewhere like columbus or or cleveland and i said well why don't you try some assignments or something like play in the market but don't like set up camp like figure out if you actually like that market before you start bringing massive amounts of money and like you know, setting up camp, like you don't know, you don't even know anyone, like figure it out. So know, know someone, learn to know someone, you can get to know someone, but I love that advice is like, you know, figure out whatever market it is. It's the market that has someone you can trust in it. That's pretty much, that's a great piece of advice. So as far as, um, you know, the lending that you guys are doing, what are you seeing? Um, as a trend on the apartment side, because apartment financing and like large multifamily, are you guys touching that stuff? Are you seeing what's going on with, cause people were talking about it and now people are shying back from it. It still exists. It's still going, but what are you seeing going on with the like larger multifamily in Texas right now? Yeah. So I'm a residential lender. Mm-hmm. One to four unit is where I 
specialize in. So I really yeah. don't touch the multifamily. I would tell you though, most of the transactions that we come across, if you make a mistake, it gets exaggerated now. If you were flying by night before, you really need to pay attention now. And there's an easy way to do it. All you got to do is just continue to learn and forms like this, right? The team think exists now. When I got started, there was no podcast. Mm-hmm. There was no way for me mm-hmm. to go online. There's so much more effective now learning. So if you can have, if you have the ability to network with other investors, get that team thing going so that you can learn how other people are doing it. The minute I got involved with the local real estate group is the minute I got better because they mm-hmm. were doing exactly what I was doing. They were just doing it better. They had the inside edge, right? Yeah, man. I mean, they are, and they've been doing it longer than me. So I was like, how are you doing that? How are you finding that? You know? So even though I don't lend in the multifamily, that might be the, the thing I would say. Now, have you ever thought about, um, I'm sure people approach you to syndicate into apartment blocks. They're like, you know, put in some money or maybe they don't. You ever had someone come up to you and say, Hey, join the, you're a real estate guy. You got some equity. Like why not put it over here? Yeah. And, and it's the same boring argument that I always say. It's like, all right, I can give you 50 grand and you'll put it in an apartment. Cool. I'll take five grand and go buy a house. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the concept and what what's needed. But for me, I'm the average person. I may not have 50 or a hundred thousand just laying around ever because I'm always using my money anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Usually when I'm executing with the Burr method, I'm coming out of pocket five to 20 grand on a property. So for me to put 50,000 into anything means I got to leave two deals behind. Ooh, that's a hard sell for me. It's a lot of work doing the Burr method, mm-hmm. but I'm okay with that because it's a, I know the metrics of how to decide on one. And I can certainly understand somebody's position about just being a passive investor on apartments, but I truly like the leveraging of small amounts of money, improving the asset. It's like an apartment syndication, but just on a small scale, one that I control without partnerships. And therefore yeah. I get all the profits from it too. So how are you, because at some point the bank is going to cut people off, They, you know, four or five, six properties in or maybe 10 properties in how are you avoiding the lending limit on your portfolio when you're growing your buy and hold portfolio because at some point the bank says or maybe it's just that you're only asking one bank but how do you avoid that yeah and bryce the 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 answer here is like you know people can work with whomever they want but true real estate friendly lenders don't have a limit mm. that's why i work where i work i wanted to use their money too I never have an issue with the limit. Mm-hmm. Larger institutions or maybe ones that aren't so friendly for us, they have limits. And that's cool. Yeah. The business decision that they decided on. It's my business decision not to work for you or with you. Mm-hmm. So if if you network well enough, you should be able to have great, adequate lenders that don't have limits. And remember, even in the beginning, I said have four. And as you get bigger, because sometimes lenders change i the my previous employer before i worked here great place and the one day the owner decided he was going to go run for the governor of oklahoma mm-hmm. and he won and he won mm-hmm. and then he no longer ran our company he's just <laughs> like i'm with, done with that that's the minute that it changed i'm like oh my gosh i was working at the best place ever and it changed so your insurance companies your property people retire people 
just go do you need to have multiples whatever path you go in but true real estate friendly places should not have a limit on how much money you can buy borrow. yeah or they're not they're not i like how you put it too and then i think people don't really maybe recognize it they see it as like a personal thing on them they're like oh i'm not financeable it's like no it's more really like a bank decision that they don't want to get extended beyond this to anyone. Like it's just a business decision. Yeah. So go ask another business. Um, but I've only been, that's the only bank I've ever banked with. It's like, there's more options out there, out there guys. And you, you said, you mentioned that you guys lend right across the country. Mm -hmm, correct. And this is go. early in my, even when I was a loan officer, I didn't know there was a difference. I didn't even know how to understand the difference in lending. So it took me a while to even understand that concept too. Don't feel frustrated if you haven't gotten there yet. You will just keep searching. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think this would probably be the best time to to ask if people want to get a hold of you. They want to reach out and uh, you know have a conversation. How do they do that? What should they do? Oh, if you like anything that I'm saying here, I'm on all the social medias. Andrew Postel. I'm on YouTube. On the um, the Instagram, the Facebook, my wife even convinced me to be on the TikTok, but all right, she just digs it. Um, but my personal cell phone number, when I lived in Florida, 71 surfs, it was a great number in Texas. Nobody cares about it, but my phone number is area code 904-718-6878. Feel free to call me, reach out to me, email me, however you see fit. Certainly here to help. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I imagine that, uh, people will be doing that. So uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, yeah. Until next time, guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thanks.